0: All right, well, last week we began a, a series that I've entitled Victorious Life in Vile Times, and we looked at what we need to do when trials come. Because in every circumstance, when things get tough, when things get hard, uh, much like the people living in James's day, we have to make a decision. Where are we going to look? Where are we going to look for our answers? We can try to handle it ourselves, or we can persevere with God. We can try to think about a way out, or we can look to God's wisdom, or we can try to somehow get by, or we can say, God, encourage me through this. Now, as James continues in chapter 1, he doesn't change gears. Even though the word in the English translation changes, the thought actually doesn't. What he's doing here is he's going to drive, what I'm going to say, a little bit further down the road. And he addresses the people of the dispersion. These are the people who are Jewish, uh, who came to a faith in the Messiah, Jesus, And said, we're trusting him as our Messiah, and their lives changed because they're living in the center of Judaism in Jerusalem, but it's a city that's controlled by the Romans, and so you've got a pagan influence, you've got a religious ritual influence, and in the midst of this mess... Are people who follow Jesus trying to live godly, moral lives, and it was a tough place to do that because there was a lot of persecution going on. But as uh, he addresses these addresses 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 these people, uh, he goes on and and he talks about this idea of persecution. He says, "Here's how you deal with it. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love Him." Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, brings uh, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Father God, I pray that as we look at this passage, you would encourage us With the idea that when trials come, there are certain things that if we're following you, if we're looking to you, if we're listening to you, if we're leaning into you, that, God, you're going to bring about in our lives. It doesn't mean the trial won't be hard. It doesn't mean the difficulty won't be difficult. But, Father, you will be with us, and you will bring great blessings if we'll just look to you through all this. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's four decisions I think we have to make that come out of this passage. The first one's right there in verse 12. When trials come... We have to make a decision that says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to receive, in the trial, in the hardship, in the difficulty, I'm going to receive an unshakable blessing from God. Now, I didn't write all those words in the blank, but you get the point. At first glance, when you look at this verse, you almost get a feeling, or I did when I was studying it, that that James was copying his brother's work, that he was plagiarizing Jesus and pulling out a, a beatitude from Jesus' teaching, if you look at that verse again, it, you kind of you get the feeling, "Blessed is the man." Does that sound like Jesus? That sounds like his brother. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. It, but that's not what he's doing. He's, he's not stealing from his brother. But he, what he is doing is speaking to the lives of people who are in some really, really tough situations. You see, people—the people to whom James wrote the epistle—are facing these hardships that we keep talking about in this book because I think it sets the context. They're dealing with. A Judaism that has a tradition of centuries of this is how it's done. This is the way we do it. This is the way... And you're not following... They don't believe Jesus is Messiah. So you're setting up a conflict between them. Then you got the Romans who want life the way the Romans wanted and the Jesus followers didn't really get that. They weren't part of that. And so you find them. they find themselves in the midst of this struggle. They're facing attack from the Romans. They're facing attack from the Jews. And they're really struggling. And here they are in the middle of what I would call... Uh, an island, I almost want to use the word um, a sandbar in the middle of a river, but they're not standing on sand, they're standing on a rock, so I don't want to give that image. But they're in the middle of the river, and the, and it's like the waves are coming from one side, and the waves are coming from the other side, and they're being battered what left and battered from the right and attacked from the right and attacked from the left. And this That's the world they're in. Sound familiar to any of you? Sounds like the world we live in almost, is not it? It's in such a situation when the things like that are going on around you, it is very easy, my friends, to do what they were struggling with. They would want to take their eyes off of what? Off of Jesus and look at the attack and look at the attack and look at the problem and look at the issue and look at this and look at that. And James is saying, why do you do that? I think this is one of the temptations that followers of Jesus have as we're following the path of Jesus. We're, we're people without a country. We're people really without a place in this world. We're, we're, we're sojourners in a foreign land, uh, as one writer has written. And we're not in this world because it's not our home. So we find ourselves looking, what, where's that coming from? And James says, here's the high call, stay steadfast. Stay steadfast. So you got to pull up yourself by your bootstraps and do the... That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is to stay steadfast in the trial, to keep our eyes on Jesus, to look forward and look for the unshakable blessings he wants to bring to us. Instead of looking in the immediate, which is what we often do, let's be honest, he says, let's, let's play what we call the long game. You know, what I'm talking about where we're looking down the road and say, okay, this is what God has for us. This is where God's leading us. Yeah, this, this wave's here and this wave's here and this trouble's here and this problem is here and this, but Jesus is there. And that's where we need to go. See the big picture of being counted worthy of Him. See, unshakable blessings, the unshakable blessings He has for us, are not are not the material things of the world. Are those wrong? No. It's not the temporary things of the world. Are those wrong? No. It, it, it's the things that God has for us that are greater, the unshakable blessings He has for us. So when trials come, receive those unshakable blessings. Second, when trials come, refuse to blame God. You're going, well, I've never blamed God. Have you? Look what verse thirteen says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Another area that James is going to talk to these folks about, I think we have to grasp the picture here, is this is that often in trials we, we, we take our eyes off of God and look at the problems. But we also want to say, well, God, why are you doing this? God, you're messing up the good things we had. You're not letting the good things come in our lives. In in many ways, this is the idea behind the statement. The the idea behind the statement is that we're going to blame God. Now, in the Greek, we we have a, 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 a translation struggle here. The ESV, King James, New International all did a good job of translating into English because we don't have a word for what needs to be here. You know, it's like faith is a verb, but we don't have faith as a verb form in English. You know, you don't, you can't, I, I didn't faith it. Yeah, that's poor English. It's a good theology. But here we've got a same struggle. Now, what, what do you mean? The word that's translated tempted, when he has tempted, is actually the same word as the word trial. So what's the verb form of the word trial? There's not one. I'm, I'm being trialed. did not work. I'm, I'm trialing. Trialing? You're trialing? That's, that's not good English. But it's good theology. And so what he's talking about is this idea, is it, it, telling the reader, it's pretty straightforward, that when you're trialed, see, it's not good English, but it's, it's good theology. When you're trialed, when you face trials, when you're tempted, don't blame God. Why? It's not his fault. God's not the one that comes into your life and says, well, I'm going to see if I can tempt them to do the wrong thing. He doesn't do that. That's not the God of the Bible. And yet, those of us who profess to follow the God of the Bible often will say things like, well, God, why are you letting this? Happen. Why are you doing this? To, it's causing me to be tempted to do the wrong thing, to take me off the right path, and go be another, And we start doing things like like that, and we've got to make a decision that says, "I'm not going to blame God. It's not God's fault. Your heart is filled. Uh, if, imagine when you, are living with Jesus Day, uh, James's Day, and you you really trusted Jesus. You're really trusting Jesus. He's your Savior. You go, man. He's, uh, but, but. but Things are hard. You've got the forgiveness of sin. You've got the joy of the Lord in your heart. But things are getting tough. The Jews are attacking on this side of your island. The Romans are attacking on this side of your island. And things are ugly. And things are going, hey, what's over there? What's over here? And you're going, oh, what am I going to do? And you're going, well, I think God's messing up here. We do that, don't we, Sometimes you might even be tempted to say, well, is God really even in charge? Is he really having any control over this? Does he know what he's doing? But that's the wrong place to look for the source of the problem. That's the wrong way to view the situation. The real problem lies somewhere else. The real source of the problem is not found in God, but it's found, listen, in our fallen existence as humans. That's where the problem comes in. See, James gets it that when we face a trial, we're tempted to blame God. But when we do that, we reduce God from being God to being less than God. Because God doesn't bring trials. He doesn't trial us. He doesn't trial us. I and mean, his words don't work well, but he doesn't make bad things. And by the way, God is not karma. Y- y- y'all realize karma is not a Christian thought. You know what karma is? Karma is getting what we deserve. That's the definition of karma, if you didn't know that. The definition of karma is we get what we deserve. And we feel, even Christians will say that sometimes. Well, that's just karma. I'm getting what I deserve. Can I tell you something? God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us, praise God, what we don't deserve. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us restoration. He doesn't bring those things in our lives. And we need to be aware of that and grasp it. So when trials come, refuse uh, to blame God. Third, when trials come, we've got to recognize the real issue. So what's the real issue? If it's not God, where's the real issue? I've already given you a clue in verse 13. Let's just got to dig in a little further in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his neighbor. No. By their friends. No. By what? Get this. By his own desire. Did you catch where he's laying the blame? Can I tell you something? I don't like that. Do you? I want to find somebody else to blame, right? It's got to be somebody's fault but mine. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. Since we cannot and we should not blame God for the trials and temptations coming in our lives, we're to return. And James's answer is, it's me, O oh Lord. I don't like that. I want I want it to be somebody's fault, but mine, right? Anybody's fault, but mine. It can't be my fault. And what James uh, James does here is kind of interesting. He, he pulls out a fishing illustration to try to help them get it. Did you see that? I'm, now I'm not a fisherman. I don't own a fishing pole, and I don't play with worms. Okay, I just tell you I, I, that's not something I do. I, I, I'll make fish and I'll eat fish, but I don't want to catch fish. I'm just telling you, it's just not one of those things I'm, I've ever had. But, but the, and I don't think James did either, to be honest with you. I don't think he wasn't a fisherman. He was from the highlands. He was up in the hill country in northern uh, Israel today. So I don't think, but he pulls this image out. He says, when a person is tempted, each person is tempted when he is what? Lured. Did you see that visual? It's like a, a, a worm on a hook. Get the attention of the fish. Get, The stuff that draws us away is the stuff that we want to be drawn away by. The stuff that we like. The stuff that we want. The stuff that's in our heart to do. And they're, they're lured by their own desires. So, so like a fish is lured for bait, uh, is lured by bait, so too we are lured by sinful desire. Now, how are we lured? I don't, I haven't ever had a worm that I wanted to bite into. Y'all with me? I'm glad, aren't you? I hope y'all are glad too. But we we have other things that lure us, don't they? We, we, we want to have we have a desire for safety. We want to be safe. We always want to be safe. Boy, our culture dra- drove that one uh, to the end of the earth for the last couple of years, didn't we? We got to be safe. We're all going to be safe. Safe, safe. I'm not against being safe, but ultimately our hope is not in the safety we find in our culture. It's in Lord Jesus is where we find our safety. How about security? Well, I want security. I want. I don't want anything to go bad. I don't want anything to go wrong. I don't either. If you haven't noticed in the human experience, things go bad. And we have to deal with those. We have to face those. We have to to, to struggle through those. How how about financial health? Well, I don't want to be poor. I don't either. Do you? You go, I already are. (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you something on the world's economy, every one of us in this room is wealthy. So let that thought go. We're already all pretty blessed. We want to be in control, don't we? We want to be the boss. I want to be in charge. You ask me first. You better check with me before you do anything. Oh, that's the one I struggle with. Just ask the kids and the wife. There's a thousand things we can let. our, Our desire will cause us to do things that are wrong. But the real issue for them... And for us are the things that entice us, those things that allure us, that draw our attention away and and have the potential to draw us from God. And the problem is these desires haven't been placed under the lordship of Jesus. James is telling the people who are dealing with these issues in that day, you got to look to Jesus. Look to Him. Don't look to the things around you. Don't look to the things that are in you. Look to Jesus. And when those enticements draw us away from God and towards sinful actions, we find ourselves in a conundrum. What do we do? We can blame others. We can blame friends. We can blame God. We can blame the society. We can blame the culture. Or we can be real honest with ourselves and say, it's me that's drawing me away from God. The things that are in my heart that I haven't submitted to the lordship of Jesus. That's where the struggle is. See, the enemy uses these desires to draw us away. The enemy, he won't tempt you with something you're not tempted to do. I remember, I think I've shared this before, but when I was uh, starting seminary in in the big, wicked city of New Orleans, uh, we had to go through an orientation, and they told us that we had to always carry our our student ID and our driver's license with us in case we got arrested. The police would come get the, the New Orleans... Seminary police, instead of they would take you to the the pokey in downtown, they'd bring you out to seminary and deal with the issue. But they was telling us about issues in life, the temptations in New Orleans. Can you all imagine there's no temptations in New Orleans, right? Yeah, Yeah, okay. He says, if you're down there in that area and there's going to be temptations, you be careful because the things that are going to draw you away from the right path are the things that you're going to be interested in. And he went on to tell us about how... He could walk down Bourbon Street and none of the alcohol infected. He had no interest in that stuff at all. And I thought that was nuts because that might be an area that I would be tempted in, but he wasn't. The things that draw us away are not the things that don't entice and have an enticement to us. He says "When a person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. You're going, well, whose fault? Let's blame God for that one. It's not God's fault does it go to? It goes back to how we were created, how we were created in the image of God. But we're also created what? We're flawed to start with. I remember talking with a deacon of my, a friend of mine, years ago about a struggle they were having in their family. One of their kids was has made a choice in life that was not the best thing in life and he was embarrassed. And I told him, I said, brother, every one of us has a sin with which we struggle. And he goes, but why does my son's sin have to be this area? And I said, man, I don't know. Why is mine... In this area. Why is yours in this area? We're all fallen. We've all got something. We've got to realize that the real issue is not God. And it's not everybody else. It's us. It's our issues. But then James goes on to give a promise a promise before we try to apply this. He says, When trials come, I say, When trials come, realize that God is always good. He's always good. Do not be deceived, my dear my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of a kind of first fruits of his of his creatures. James then reminds the reader, he says there's a better way. Don't look around at everything around. Don't don't blame somebody else and realize it's you. But ultimately, look to God. Because God is good. God is good. How often? God is good what? All the time. How often? All the time. And all the time, God is good. We forget that sometimes, I think. See, when God works, when God moves, when he acts, it's always going to be good. You can't say, well, God did something that was bad. No, that's not God. God. You can't say, God, you messed up. No, He didn't. When something comes about our way, we don't look to God. We don't blame God We don't blame God as the cause. We don't blame Him as the purpose. And our desires, when they run amok, will take us down roads that we should never go down. So we've got to be careful with those. Every single one of us has that. But God is what? Always good. The one that James calls the father of lights. That's an interesting phrase for God, isn't it? You ever prayed and said, God, Father of lights, thank you. That's a weird phrase for us, isn't it? He's talking about God being the creator of everything. The one who created the heavens, the stars, the moon, the sun. He's way bigger than we are. And he's drawing a contrast here between us and God so that we can see that God is not driven by wicked desires, though we are. And we're the ones, though, who through whom He's going to work. So what do you do with a passage like this, man? I mean, almost I don't need to say anything else. It's all right there, right? James is kind of like that. He kind of just lays it out there. But I've got three thoughts I want you to grasp that maybe or something will add to your life. One, we got to choose where we're going to look for our blessings. Who do we look? Who do you look for blessings? Do you look to your kids? Do you look to your grandkids? Do you look to your bank account? Do you look to the number of vacations you can go on? Do you look to all the stuff you have, the stuff you don't have, the stuff you want, the stuff you don't want? That's another conversation for another day. Or do you look to God? This may not be as easy as it seems for many of us To not look to just God because we want to look at other places. We want to look to family. We want to look to government. We want to look to medicine. We want to look to ourselves. But but how many of us, honestly, how many of us truly exclusively look to God for our our blessings? God, you're the one. We spend hours every day looking for peace, for joy, for satisfaction, for enjoyment, for fulfillment. We look for all this stuff, don't we? We spend time on social media trying to figure out if my life better better than her life. You know, there's nothing wrong with keeping up with folks, but listen, if we're looking for that for our validation, something's wrong with us. We're looking to the wrong place. If we're living in, if we were living for James, uh, Jesus and James Day, facing what they faced, would we be any different than they were? The Romans were attacking on this side. The Jews are attacking on this side. Some of us have had to leave town because we're afraid for our lives. Some have lost their lives. Remember, Stephen died for his faithfulness in Jesus in Jerusalem. But there's, this is more than an action. Hang in there with me. It's a mindset. That we have to adopt, that we have to develop. Today, I'm going to look where for my blessings. I'm going to look to me. I'm going to look to my accounts. I'm going to look to my, my my life. I'm going to look to my family. I'm going to look to my church. I'm going to look to my friends. I'm going to look to. No, I'm going to look where to the Lord. That's where my blessings come from. That's where the good things in life come. Saul had gone from being a pompous, arrogant, Christian-hating persecutor to a follower of Jesus who let his, day be, his life be led by God day by day by day, the blessings he had. And this is what he said, said to the church at Philippi about this issue. He said, and my God will supply some of your needs. When he gets around to it, he'll send you something. Uh, the check's in the mail. No, he never said that, did he? And my God will supply what? What? Every need of yours according to how good you are, how moral you are, how faithful you are, how regular you are. It's not about us. Did you see what he said? According to what? His riches in glory. In heaven, it's based on him, it's not based on us. A big part of learning to face trials in life is saying, where am I going to look for my blessings? Where am I going to look for the answers? Where am I going to look for the moving in my life? Is it going to be to the people around me? Let me tell you what, I have been living long enough to figure out that every person around me is going to disappoint me at some time or another. No offense. Why? Because they're human. There's only one place I can look that I won't be disappointed. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Learning to look to God for our blessings is a process where we say, God, I want to come in line with your will. I'm going to subject my tendencies to you. I'm going to subject my desires to you. I'm going to turn my life over to you. And I'm going to say, God, I'm looking to you and nowhere else. Number two, God's never to blame. When you find yourself saying, well, why is God letting stop? Why did God cause to stop? God didn't do that. Well, well, he could have stopped it. Could have, but that's not his blame. Y'all with me? Hang in there. In this passage, we've got to see the reality that God is never to blame. There is never, excuse me, there is something about us as humans. We love to blame somebody for our problems. If y'all haven't noticed that in this day and age, you haven't been looking around. Let me give you some examples. You know, in politics, red blames blue and blue blames blames red. And it's always the other side's problem and fault. Always. You remember in, you ever take standardized tests in school? Anytime you see the word always, it usually means what? It's wrong. Okay. Let me tell you, it's not always. God is never to blame. Okay. That's the truth that we need to hang on to. But the reality is we want to blame the other side. How about this one in marriage? Oh, it's always her fault. Oh, no, you don't understand, Pastor. It's always his fault. Let's be honest, is it? Usually there's some shared blame there, isn't there? How about in work workplace? Well, if the bosses would do this, and then the management says what? If the employees would do we always blame the other side. Why is it? How about in football? I didn't want to go here, but I'm going to. I, I, I'm sorry, sister. Hang in there. I woke up at 1.30 this morning and checked the score. I shouldn't have. I should have just slept. And then when I got up this morning, I started reading the social media post. Shouldn't have done that either. And everyone starts blaming who? It's the coach's fault. It's the offensive coordinator's fault. It's the defensive co- It's the ref's. It's the ref's fault while we lost. We had a kicker. Well, that one's true. But anyway, <laughs> we always want to blame somebody, don't we? Can I tell you something? It didn't matter if my team won or lost yesterday. I'm still the same person I am yesterday that I am today that I am yesterday. It has nothing to do with that. Do I want my team to win? Every single time. Do I want our high school team to win? Every single time, right? doesn't happen. And it's, it has nothing to do God's not to blame for that. God didn't cause that team to lose. We love to shift the blame somewhere, and often it's to God. Friend, I am here to remind you that God is never to blame for the situation in which we find ourselves. As a people, we are born with a sin stain, and we will live with that sin stain, and we will die with that sin stain until Jesus washes us clean. And when he does that, we have a new life. And no amount of blaming anybody else will change that. And until we come to the place that we confess our part in the problem, nothing changes. Solomon says this about trusting ourselves. Whoever trusts in his own mind is wise. Did y'all catch that? Whoever trusts in his own mind is a what? Them strong words. You call me a fool. I'm not a fighting kind of guy, but I might get upset about that one. You know what I'm saying? He says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. His answer to the issue is to don't trust your mind. You go, but I'm pretty smart. I'm figured it out. Don't trust your mind. You're not as smart as you think you are. I know I'm not. Trust God. Look to God. He's not the blame. He's the answer. As we grow to know God more and more, we receive this wisdom and it replaces the foolishness in our thinking and we're going to be changed and transformed. Stop blaming God for your problems and start running to God for the answer. One more thought. And you're going to say, well, duh. Well, we are at church, so this is a church answer, but it's a true answer. Believe fully that God is good. You go, well, we all believe that God's good. Do we? He really is. I know we say the words and we say we mean the words, but do we really understand that? So many people in this world believe, even many well-meaning Christians believe that God's out to get them. He's out to smite them, to tear, tear them down. When they step out of line, he wants to kick them into the curb. That, that view of God is incon- incomplete and is also inconsistent with the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, revealed in the pages of this Bible that you hold, that I hold, is not a vindictive God. He is not a punitive God. And he is surely not out to get you. So quit looking at God that way. God's good. How often? All the time. Without exception. You know he has in mind in my his mind, he has good for you. He has something great for you. He has a great plan for you. He has a great direction for you. He has great thoughts for you. He doesn't have bad thoughts for you. He doesn't goes, Well, I'm gonna get that one. He messed up. That's not God. So push it aside. Get rid of it. The entire ark. ARC not ARK the entire arc of the bible is about how we messed up in the beginning and how God has worked to do what all the way through to get us no to redeem us that that's the big truth of this bible guys it's not that god's here to get us he's good and he's got something good for us eternal life in the eternity and a good life and a great life in the here and now and we want to blame him for our problems and we want to say, well, God, you're trying to get me and you're trying to take me down. No, he's not. His love endures. You know the end of that one? It's one word. It's Forever. His love endures forever. It's not just, well, oh, i got a little while ago. God is so good that we ought to then say, God, I'm going to give my life to you. I want to follow you. And that's what James is challenging the people in the first century who are dealing with all these things going on around them. Battles from one side to the other side, the Romans, the Jews. Life is hard. They're having to move out of town to to pervert, serve their families. Life is difficult. They're in vile times is what the title of the series says. He says, but you've got victorious living if you'll do it. Because the circumstances around do not determine the goodness of the God we follow. Maybe you're here today and you need to make a decision for Christ. Maybe you need to make a decision to become part of this fellowship because you already know Jesus. I don't know what your issue is, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning so that God can work in your life as you take the next faith step in your life, whatever that is, and honor God. Father, we pray right now that as we have just a few moments where we can respond to you publicly if we need to, privately for sure, as we all probably need to, God, that you would show us your goodness again and again and again. And we recognize that the issues that draw us away from you so often is, is us. It's our hearts that are hard, our hearts that are twisted by sin. But God, you want to give us forgiveness of for that. We pray for your hand to be free in these few moments. As we respond to you, we pray that you'd be lifted up in Jesus' name.